1: you're listening to Privacy Piracy. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Hi, welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm this show's engineer and co-host sometimes with Mari. And if you don't know our host, Mari, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a local attorney and privacy consultant and is the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor. A step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft with a CD and a foreword by Dianne Feinstein. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection and she's a sheriff reserve here in our county. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC and ABC News, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows. In fact, you can watch her on NBC in LA. It's, it's Channel Four on February seventh on the news at eleven p.m. p.m. and online. And if you can't stay up that late, you can always T-Bowl it. Right. Let's, let me turn
2: on your mic, so. You can... Okay, okay. So I was just saying, and if you can't stay up that late, you can always T-Bowl it.
1: That's right. She also had her own ninety-minute PBS special on the on TV. Um, which aired again this year, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. Uh, To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit kuci.org slash privacypiracy. Good evening, Mari.
2: Hey there, Lloyd. Thank you. So tonight we have a great show. We have something that is going to be important to everybody who is listening because we are going to talk about workplace privacy. So whether you are an employee or an employer, This is going to be the kind of thing you must listen to because privacy in the workplace is a huge issue. I'm so excited that we have all the way from the East Coast in uh, New Jersey, we've got Jeremy Gruber. Jeremy Gruber is an attorney uh, with the National Work Rights Institute. In fact, he's the legal director. Let me tell you a little bit about Jeremy. Jeremy um, is the legal director of National Work Rights Institute, which is a a human rights organization and privacy rights organization based in Princeton, New Jersey. And he formerly served as field director for the ACLU's National Task Force on Civil Liberties in the Workplace. He's a prolific writer on workplace privacy issues, and he's focused much of his advocacy on issues relating to workplace monitoring and surveillance, which is huge right now. Um, He's a founder and co-chair of the Coalition for Genetic Fairness, a group of 150 organizations, which is the voice of the civil rights community on medical and genetic privacy issues on Capitol Hill. Remember when we had the health care issues, that show? That was real scary to think about people being, you know, denied employment because of their genetics. It's, It's frightening. Okay, he's regularly consulted by Congress and state legislatures, and he's authored numerous laws expanding workplace privacy rights. He's also in the news, in the media, and on television. And we are so glad that he joined us all the way from New Jersey. Are you there, Jeremy? You, did you lose him? Jeremy, are you there? I'm here. Oh, good. I... <laughs> we just turned white for a second there. Thank you so much for coming in. You know, it's 9, what is it, nine, 8 o'clock at night there.
0: Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.
2: Oh, great. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit more about what your organization is doing with regard to privacy rights in the workplace.
0: Sure. Our, our organization, uh, the National Work Rights Institute, is, has actually been, uh, been around for some time in, in one incarnation or another. We were originally um, founded in, in 1988 as the National Task Force on Civil Liberties in the Workplace as part of the uh, National ACLU. And we're part of the National ACLU for 12 years until 2000 when the staff uh, of the project um, left the ACLU and uh, and formed a new organization, and an independent organization called the National Work Rights Institute. Um, our focus um, is very much on privacy, but not uh, to the exclusion of other workplace uh, human rights issues, everything from freedom of expression, freedom of association to due process, um, equal treatment, and uh, health and safety issues.
2: Right. Well, tonight we're going to focus mostly on your privacy issues. I know that's a huge issue right now with all the technology and surveillance and, of course, you know, biometrics and RFIDs and all that good stuff. How do you define privacy in the workplace, Jeremy?
0: Well, I, I think you define privacy in the workplace really the same way you define privacy in any anywhere else. Um, your your ability to control information about yourself, your your ability to have some personal autonomy, um, and and some control uh, over uh, over that autonomy. Um, unfortunately, in in many cases, that that does not happen uh, in the American workplace. Uh, the American workplace really is is the black hole of of human rights in this in this country and and in many cases the black hole of privacy uh, in this country um, you have far fewer privacy rights particularly in the private sector workplace um, than you do in any other part uh, really of your of your uh, discourse during the day um, I, I think most people have more more, more more likely to, to have their privacy rights uh under attack by their employer than they are just by just about any other entity uh that's part of their lives and unfortunately they have far fewer protections than they do than they should have.
2: Yeah. So what what is the big misconception? I mean is that the misconception that you're safe at work for privacy? Is is that Well what it I, is? I
0: think the biggest misconception um is that uh is that you really have a, uh, rights at work in many cases. Uh, the Constitution doesn't apply to the private sector workplace, and I, and I think most people don't don't really realize that. You have no right to privacy. You have no right to due process or freedom of speech. Uh, you know, when our founders wisely wrote the Constitution, the only tyranny that they really knew um, was that of government. It was before the Industrial Revolution, and uh, because of that, uh, the Constitution was written as a check on on, on government. Um, but The private sector workplace uh, is not covered by the Constitution, uh, and no constitutional rights uh, in that area.
2: Well, let's start talking about some of the the major issues in terms of specifics. So how about electronic monitoring in the workplace? Um, What does that entail? How rampant is it? And and what rights do you have as an employee and an employer?
0: Well, electronic monitoring is probably – Uh, the the most um, abused uh, area of privacy um, in in the American workplace. Uh, The current rates of monitoring in the American workplace uh, are are so high that they're almost universal. Uh, The the latest numbers uh, show us that approximately 92% of employers are conducting some form of electronic monitoring in the workplace. Um, and, And there's... Not only are there uh, a whole host of, of of forms of monitoring that we've seen over the years, but it continues to grow into new technologies every year, um, whether it be telephones, video cameras, uh, any aspect of your computer, e- email monitoring, internet monitoring, hard drive monitoring, um, and then there's, of course, new technologies that are emerging like like GPS, um,
2: RFIDs
0: RFIDs as well. And employers are are generally initiating this monitoring in Mm -hmm. response to legitimate concerns. But, unfortunately, the results of this this monitoring have been almost uh, completely devastating to employee privacy. Virtually everything we do and say at work can be and is generally often monitored by our employers. Um, And this would be bad enough if it only involved work-related behavior. Um, but there's no distinction between work-related and personal communications. Uh, and, uh, and then employers are, are oftentimes, in the course of their monitoring programs, monitoring highly personal information uh, of individuals.
2: So, so what are the limits? What are the limits that employers must, you know, watch their boundaries with?
0: Well, interestingly enough, or, or perhaps surprisingly enough, there are a there, there few limits um, there, there is only one federal law um, that applies to electronic monitoring in the, in the workplace. It's the Electronic Communications Privacy Act. It was passed way back in 1986. We've not seen an update of, that, of, of any type of monitoring uh, privacy law by Congress since then. Uh, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act generally covers the monitoring of telephones, uh, and it. It allows monitoring of telephones in the ordinary course of business, um, but it prohibits the monitoring of personal communications by telephone. Outside of the telephone, there are few protections for employees. Um, Video cameras are are not covered. Most aspects of your computer being monitored are not covered, and there are a whole host of ways that that, uh, computers are now being monitored, whether it be email or the Internet. The hard drive and and the forms of that monitoring are quite extensive and and have really proliferated, whether it be keystroke monitoring, whether whether the monitoring actually occur on your terminal or whether it occurs on the server, and uh, and monitoring goes well beyond um, just the physical workplace. Employees who work from home, and, and many employees do. Um, many employees now telecommute, and the numbers of employees telecommuting are, are getting uh, larger every year. Um, if you if you log into your computer via your employer's server, um, and the monitoring is going on on the server, uh, you can be monitored at home. Uh, and uh, and now we're seeing, of course, the rise of GPS. Um, GPS because workers are becoming more and more mobile. And, uh, and in fact, uh, the latest numbers are showing that in the next year we'll have 105 million workers will be will be mobile, meaning that they're not exclusively sitting at a physical desk uh, or, or at a plant all day long. Uh, and employers are starting to use GPS uh, to monitor them as well. Um, and there are a few restrictions on that.
2: Well, let me go back and ask you a little bit of a question about the, the... The phone monitoring that you said—the um, the federal law that that does, that basically protects employees that their uh, personal phone conversations cannot be monitored. How how does that work at work? I mean, if you are yeah, help me understand if, if you well well
0: generally what what it what it often means in practice is that an, unless an employer is monitoring telephone calls from a service persp- uh, perspective for telephone operators for example which is an exception and they they can do that on a more consistent basis generally it means that employers aren't aren't going to be able to be monitoring your telephone calls uh, on on a on a, on a sort on, on a completely uh, constant basis um, because of those prohibitions, um, but in, in just about every other aspect, they can. Um, so, Jeremy, what
2: does it mean with regard to voicemail? If if the voicemail goes on the company machine, does that is that affected by this uh, voicemail if your wife calls you and tells some, you something? Sometimes
0: voicemail can be covered. There's part of the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, um, is uh, there's a section called the Stored Communications Act, and that can cover voicemail. Um, but outside sort of the, the telephone apparatus, um, most, most communications are, are, are wide open. Only, only a, a handful of states um, have passed laws, for example, um, restricting video cameras. Uh, in the workplace, of course, because we don't have constitutional rights in the private sector workplace, the only protections that we do have are those protections that are passed uh, uh, by state uh, state legislatures or by Congress or or in, in some in a few cases where there's some state constitutional protections um, only only a handful of states, for example, and this is a good example and this will give you a good example of just how how far uh, we have to go on workplace privacy. Only, only a handful of states have passed laws prohibiting video cameras in bathrooms in the workplace, California being one of them. Right. Um, but uh, California only passed that, uh, that law recently, and, and uh, just uh, a couple months ago I, I worked on a, on a law in Rhode Island that, was, that passed um, that uh, would extend similar protections in Rhode Island. That's, that's really the minimum. Um, Employers don't even have to tell you that they're monitoring. Only two states in the country uh, require that employers give notice of monitoring practices, and they're relatively small states, Connecticut and Delaware. In uh, every other state, uh, an employer doesn't even have to tell you that they're monitoring. Uh, In California, for example, uh, over three sessions, the legislature has tried to pass uh, notice legislation, and it was twice vetoed by Governor Davis, and once by by Governor Schwarzenegger, um, so in most places, um, an employer doesn't even have to tell you that they're monitoring, let alone have a restrictions on what they can monitor.
2: So there's really no transparency either for, for, for employees to even know.
0: No, not not at all. And and one of one of one, of course one of the very difficult um, aspects of, of workplace uh, privacy and and, and w- workplace law in general is that it's oftentimes once employers have information, it's often very difficult to prove that they've used it in an improper way. There's no legal requirement usually that an employer tell you why they terminated you, why they failed to hire you, or, or why that you lost a promotion. Uh, and and uh, unless there's uh, overwhelming evidence um, that, you, that you can find otherwise, uh, and it, it's quite easy for employers to, to misuse information and get away with it.
2: All right. What about let's get back to this phone thing because I'm you know we've heard in the news about all these cell phone records that are easily purchased online, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and I'm wondering about what if I have a cell phone that the company gave me, mm-hmm. and I'm using the cell phone, you know, as I'm driving down the road and I'm maybe a, a salesperson that I have to use my cell phone. Do do and and obviously if I want to get reimbursed. Okay. Um, is it, don't I have to give that cell phone record?
1: Well, you, you,
0: if, it, if it's a company-issued cell phone, the company has every, uh, every legal right to access any aspect of information regarding that phone, um, including records, including uh, the voicemail on the phone, uh, and uh, if possible, the content of the conversations.
2: Right. Now, let's say that I use my own cell phone, and I use it for some business, and I ask for reimbursement. Do I have to give all my cell phone records then?
0: O- only only the aspect of the record that uh, that requires reimbursement.
2: So I can redact or black out everything but what I'm asking for reimbursement right.
0: the, the, one, most m- most uh, employees uh, if they if they want to have some semblance of, of, of private communication uh, in the workplace um, are, are really going to have to do it on their on their private. Uh, cell phone, Blackberry, or or the like, Um, because any other type of communication oftentimes can be monitored by employers. And that includes, for example, accessing a personal email account on the company computer, not your workplace email account, but your personal account, because oftentimes uh, employers are, are utilizing monitoring software. Um, that, uh, that is taking place on the server or sometimes even on the place of the individual terminal. Uh, either way, um, the, the fact that you're accessing a personal email account is really uh, irrelevant uh, to an employer's ability to monitor.
2: So that's different from the phone. If I use the employer's phone for a personal call, that can't be monitored. Correct. But if I use the, empl- the uh, employer's computer for a personal Communication with a spouse that can be monitored.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. There, there are virtually no protections for for computer monitoring, um, and uh, really telephones are, are one are one of the few aspects of electronic monitoring uh, in the workplace where uh, where you do have some semblance uh, of of privacy, um, mm-hmm. and and we're we're seeing uh, employers accessing all kinds of personal information. Um, as a result of monitoring computers, as a result of monitoring, um, you know, other communications devices, and and now we're starting to see it with things like 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 we uh, alluded to before with GPS. Uh, most people may not be aware, but most um, cell phones are now legally required to be uh, GPS equipped for right. 911 purposes, right. and employers are starting to access the GPS capabilities of those cell phones. Um, for purposes of, of monitoring their employees. And that's not necessarily a, a bad thing if, if they're only using it for for, monitor, for uh, trying to improve uh, efficiency uh, and, and other things. Technology is, is usually a neutral. It, it's oftentimes how the technology is used. And GPS, we're already seeing cases where GPS is being abused. Employers, for example, requiring employees to keep their cell phones on uh, 24-7. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and and in those in those nice cases, an employer can have a fully fleshed-out picture of exactly uh, every aspect of your life, where you go, um, uh, you know your political activities, um, you know your relationships. Um, there's very little uh, by monitoring where you go that an employer can't really have a good idea of, of who you are and and what you're all about in your private life.
2: So you're saying there's no restrictions on if if I have an employer and they want me to have my cell phone on. Twenty-four-seven. I mean, I can't turn it off if it's an, a cell phone that I get from from work. I can't turn it off at six o'clock at night when I get home from work.
0: Well, I, there's certainly no laws prohibiting it, oh. um, and uh, it's it's you know it's been theorized that in some in in certain uh, extreme cases, particularly uh, off-duty, um, yeah. there there may be protections, but it, there's there's no legal precedent. Um, on this. There's never been a single GPS case with with respect to this. Um, And employers have been using GPS uh, in this respect, right? To a degree, it remains to be seen whether they'll they'll be able to continue to get away with it, but but so far there's been no legal challenges.
2: Mm. So I would think that if you do it, you'd ask for overtime. <laughs> well,
0: that's that's of course a, a, one, one of the primary uh, problems. Of course, would be wage and hour violations. Right, right, right. And and of course, you know, there's also problems um, potentially with violating, um, uh, you know, r- or uh, privacy rights r- regarding right to organize um, and uh, First but, Amendment but,
3: rights. Yeah.
0: But absence some of those uh, some of those. Aspects, the 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 pure privacy uh, aspects are are oftentimes unprotected. Certainly, employers are monitoring using GPS during during your breaks, um, and, uh, and and during many other aspects. And and of course, there's also GPS that is uh, attached to company vehicles. Although it's oftentimes easier. Um, to, to relieve yourself of, of that type of monitoring than it is a, a, f- a phone that, that you carry on your person. Um, but we have seen a lot of uproar, um, particularly um, with public employees, because, of course, if you're a, a government employee, you do have constitutional rights. Right. However, however, somewhat limited, uh, you do have constitutional rights, and we have seen government employees um, that uh, have uh, uh, usually been in an uproar over GPS and have negotiated Um, restrictions on on employer use of GPS. Um, But oftentimes in the private sector workplace, uh, you you don't have that ability unless you're a member of a union. Uh, If you're a member of a union, generally things like monitoring are are subject to collective bargaining, Um, but but unions are unfortunately declining in this country and uh, absent union representation in the private sector, you don't have that type of
2: protection. Right, right. You know, I can understand an employer wanting this, the GPS on during the workday, but I, I have a, a, a great deal of trouble trying to understand why they would want 24-7 unless you were an intern at a hospital and you were on call or something. I mean, it, it, it just doesn't make any logical sense to me whatsoever.
0: Well, you know, part of the problem with monitoring um, is that you know, the traditional – workday, the nine-to-five workday, doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but, and employers are, are oftentimes in the forefront of that change. Um, you know, we're, we're moving to a much more of a flexible workplace. Um, hours are, uh, are, are, ch- are oftentimes changing. They're longer. People are working on the weekends. People are working after hours. Um, people are working uh, on their private time. Right um and it's oftentimes it's encouraged by employers because because of the the, the needs of uh, uh, of the workplace. Um, but electronic monitoring oftentimes uh, is is conducted uh, under the old under the model of the old workplace, the nine to five workplace where you're on our time um, and, and you know you need to be focused on your job.
3: Right.
0: Um, and uh, it makes doesn't make any room for the realities. Uh, of, of how most people uh, work these days and how most people need uh, some time uh, to make a, a call to their doctor during the day uh, to check uh, on their child or, or have a quick conversation with their wife. Right. Uh, and, and some employers uh, are recognizing that. Uh, uh, we are seeing a, a, a growth in reasonable use policies um, by employers, this of course, are not legal requirements. Uh, these are just employer policies but nevertheless, we have seen a number of employers start to institute reasonable use policies which which allow for for reasonable personal use of communications devices and 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 other types of equipment um, without being monitored um, and as long as as of course the the time is is kept at a at a reasonable amount and and as long as the uh, the communication is uh, is 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 not considered uh illegitimate um then it, then oftentimes these companies are are allowing it to happen and and these companies are are just as successful as the companies that uh that 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 uh that, that have uh less progressive policies you know i think one of the major problems we have with with work with trying to institute new rights in the workplace particularly with privacy rights is that uh oftentimes uh, employers um, and, and their supporters uh, are, are are very fearful of, of more restrictions that somehow it's going to uh, you know, affect their ability uh, to, to to be a strong company. And that's just not the case. Uh, you know, workplace privacy is not incompatible with the market economy.
3: Well, I, uh, I think exactly need to be the opposite.
0: With the market economy,
3: yeah. uh,
0: and um, plenty of employers have instituted plenty of very good employee privacy policies and have very profitable companies.
2: Well, yeah, and I want to just say who we're talking to. We've been talking with Jeremy Gruber, who is the attorney and basically the uh, legal director for the National Work Rights Institute, and uh, that's at www.workrights.org. Um, you know, when you were talking about this, Jeremy, you know, I think that people talk about so much turnover and they're losing good employees. Well, if they have policies that respect the human and their the human privacy, then they're more likely to have more loyalty. and if they have more loyalty, uh, then obviously they have a, a better chance of having a more productive and successful company. So I think what you're saying about you know you it's not incongruent to be a company that values their 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 um, employees' privacy.
0: well and and particularly because this this is uh, there are almost always alternatives. Uh, for For some of these employer policies that are invasive of privacy
2: so let 's talk um, about some of those alternatives
0: sure i mean monitoring is is a is a great example um, there is are plenty of technologies monitoring technologies that are available to employers that allow them to 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 meet many of their legitimate needs uh, without invading privacy uh, website blocking for example employers don't need to know what website you're visiting to to have a a, a to, to institute website blocking software that simply prohibits uh, sites that they, uh, that they don't want employees to go to. You, you certainly don't have a right uh, to, a, at work to to go to whatever website you want to go to, um, but certainly employers don't need to know um, the websites you go to either. And website blocking software is, is perfectly compatible uh, for both employer and employee needs.
2: Now, Jeremy, I've got to stop you, Jerry, for, Jeremy, for a second, because I had an employee who um, was using wasn't getting a lot of work done. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the reason he wasn't getting a lot, work, a lot of work done is because he was spending a lot of time um, instant messaging, mm-hmm. a lot of time on websites. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, happen, I had really trusted him. You know, I have a small office and I looked on the history, and I saw all of these websites he was going to, and I told him, I said, you know, you cannot be doing this. You're not getting your work done. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, obviously then every time I walked by, you know, then he was, you know, hiding the instant messaging. So I think that from an employer's perspective, I mean, I made it very clear, I will be monitoring all this, and I don't want you to be doing this because you're not getting your work done, and I eventually had to fire him.
0: Well, and certainly there, if it, you know, oftentimes it's, uh, you know, it is argued, well, I don't want my employee surfing the Internet all day. Right. Um, well, I don't think you necessarily need to monitor, for example, your employee to, to, to know that they're monitoring all day. If they're, if they're, if they're. Uh, if they're on the Internet all day and they're not doing their work, uh, you, you'll find out pretty quickly when their work isn't being completed. Right. You don't need to necessarily be monitoring content. And, and, you know, there there is monitoring technology that allows you to monitor the amount of time your employee spends on the Internet.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it, it's a question of, of whether you're monitoring content um, or, or whether you're um, restricting your monitoring in other ways.
3: Right. Um, I wasn't you
0: really looking. You, know, you yeah. can certainly uh, have... Uh, very uh there's now monitoring software that is is very easy to use very easy to uh to to uh implement a policy according to to the software um and uh that that's respectful of privacy and 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 many employers are are starting to do that um but oftentimes uh monitoring is still going on you know in a, in a very random and continuous way
2: right And I think employers, you know, from the other perspective, is maybe they're worried about litigation. Maybe they're worried that someone who works for them might be a uh, teenage stalker or something, and they might be doing something on the Internet that would actually come back and, and be a legal liability. What about that?
0: Well, you know, usually you you see employers worried, most particularly in cases of sexual harassment. Right. Um, uh, but oftentimes there there are ways of of of, of, of both of monitoring and of of, of, of policy um, that, uh, that that an employer can deal with that situation and and still be respectful of privacy. Um you know of course under sexual harassment law an employer uh, an employee must uh file a complaint with the employer first um and, and of course once a complaint is filed um the employer has every right uh to, to check on what an employee is doing on their computer and make sure right. that uh that they're not violating uh somebody's uh somebody's rights in that manner um we're, when we talk about privacy and your computer we talk about random monitoring uh, you know monitoring without individualized suspicion. Right. Um but but if there is a specific reason for an employer to believe a particular employee is abusing their computer, uh it's it's reasonable for them to to, to investigate um in in that sense. Um and there's of course also technologies that allow employers to monitor keywords. For example, so oftentimes, if somebody, you know, in your example, if somebody was a stalker, uh, most most employers' keyword searches would often turn up the type of language uh, they would be using, um, and uh, and would flag their their emails, and an employer in those cases might take a, a, a closer look at the content um, uh, of those emails, but uh, but. But that that that's, that's oft, oftentimes that technology is is not being used, and, and employers uh, are accessing emails without individualized uh, suspicion, and and it's often not necessary.
2: Right. Well, I usually tell my clients don't put anything confidential in an email, you know, especially from work. <laughs> you know, anywhere, but especially from work. You shouldn't even be using. You know the wor- if you have a laptop in somewhere else you know you're better off using your home computer for anything confidential i
0: would only i mean you're absolutely right i mean and if you really want to be careful about privacy in the in the workplace uh you can really own you only use your own uh, uh devices yeah. uh, separate and distinct um from your employers and if you're using uh you know even your home computer, you have to make sure that you're not using your your workplace email account, or that you're not logging into your employer's server um, when, uh, when conducting that communication, because in those, oftentimes in those cases, even from home um, or elsewhere, uh, your employer m- uh, might be utilizing software that can monitor your communications.
2: How about if you encrypt? How about if you encrypt stuff? D- are you going to be forced to unencrypt for them?
0: If you encrypt stuff and, and, and uh, an employer finds out you're trying to encrypt, uh, oftentimes uh, you, you're you're going to be you're going to be one of the first people that they're going to take a closer look at, at what they're doing. Right. Uh, you, you certainly have no right on your workplace computer to encrypt. Okay. um and uh and, and you know some people try to for example uh do do try to try to use some of these uh technologies to encrypt or to to create separate fa- separate
3: uh Password, storage systems yeah.
0: it's it, it doesn't provide you any any more protection uh, than you would be otherwise employers have a right to to access that and to ask you for your passwords uh in, in order to get into them if they lie on the, your company computer
2: right let's kind of switch gears a little bit and let's talk about um Employer access to medical information, and it's pretty scary because there are a lot of companies that, you know, um, they're, they're self-insured, right? And so what are some of the issues with regard to medical information?
0: Well, I mean, one of the, the bright spots we've seen with, uh, with, with workplace privacy has been with medical Information, Uh, you know, recently under the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, uh, the uh, Congress, or rather, the uh, uh, under under the HIPAA, they passed privacy regulations. Right. And privacy regulations uh, uh, apply uh, to only to self-insured employers. They're they're labeled hybrids under under the HIPAA because they HIPAA generally. uh, covers health insurance providers, but it's self-insured employers as providers themselves uh, are covered by HIPAA. And,
3: right. and HIPAA
0: does um, regulate access to, to records and, uh, and notice, uh, accountability, um, uh, and, uh, and does regulate how, how, so how those documents are, are, are handled and, and does require separate, um, separate confidential files and, and things of that, uh, of that nature. Um, but there are other, asp- other aspects of, of uh, medical information where you have oftentimes have far less privacy. Um, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, for example, um, an employer cannot access uh, medical information um, uh, of applicants um, and they can only access medical information of current employees if, uh, if it's business related. Um, unless under there's a handful of exceptions, for example, voluntary wellness programs. Um, But under the Americans with Disabilities Act, specifically once a conditional offer of employment has been made, um, uh, meaning that the employer offers uh, an applicant a job um, based upon uh, the completion of of, of other other types of uh, checks, uh, an employer can access medical information, uh, as well as a whole host of other information about you, even if it's not job-related. And this is, it's, it's a huge window um, in, uh, in our protections of, of medical uh, medical records, and it's oftentimes a window that employers uh, use to access a whole host of medical information about you.
2: So what if, for example, you want to be a teacher and um, you have seizures and you don't want to reveal that? Um, uh, what kinds of issues arise with regard to that?
0: Well, you know teachers of course are, are covered uh, have constitutional rights generally if they're public teachers so so they, they, they would have uh, greater protections um, but if, if they were the teacher at a, uh,
3: Private at school. a parochial
0: school for example,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, they, uh, uh, they they oftentimes that information uh, would be accessible by the employer at the conditional offer stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course then 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 there's then there's uh uh, uh how employers use that information mm-hmm. um and uh and of course one of the areas that I do a lot of work in uh is genetics uh, and genetic discrimination uh employers um uh now are starting to use information about your genetic predisposition to disease meaning that you're, in a, you're a healthy person, um, but, uh, but you have a genetic mutation uh, that uh, puts you at a, at a higher risk for a, a, a tr- contracting a disease potentially at some future point. Uh, employers are now oftentimes using this information, um, accessing it, and sometimes using it to discriminate. Well, um, oh, Jeremy,
2: tell me, how are they accessing my DNA? All right, or is, is that what they're accessing? Or
0: well, some employers are 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 conducting actual genetic tests, but that's that's by far the minority at this point. Although uh, it's quite likely that, absent sufficient legal protection, uh, it'll it'll uh, as as the cost of genetic testing uh, decreases, uh, employer use of of genetic uh, information uh, will grow. Um, right now, oftentimes employers are, are getting genetic information. Um, by uh, family histories, uh, information from medical claims. Um, sometimes it's water cooler talk. Uh, you know, you, you're, you, you tell your employer, uh, I need to take the day off. My, my mother uh, uh, just came down with breast cancer, for example.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, and
0: your employer, and your like, hmm, this person may be at, uh, at a higher risk than for breast cancer. Um, we, for exa- you know, for example, we saw uh, one of the more famous cases of, of genetic uh, testing and discrimination was Burlington Northern Railroad, um, and uh, in, 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 this, in a re- recent case of a couple of years ago, Burlington Northern Railroad, um, some employees had filed workers' compensation claims, and of course, under workers' comp, an employer uh, has, has actually has the legal specific legal right uh, to. to, to, to uh, make sure that that the, that the claim is job related, um, as the disability that you're making your workers' compensation for is is, is uh, job related. And and then the employer uh, drew blood uh, from these employees uh, that it claimed workers' compensation. Um, and and unluckily for the employer, one of the employer's wives was a nurse and realized that the amount of blood that they were taking was in far excess of what they would need for a normal workers' comp claim. Uh, and they discovered that uh, the employer was, tr- was running genetic tests on their blood for genetic predisposition to carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, my goodness. Um, and with the, with the hope, of course, of, of, uh, uh, of finding that, uh, that these employees had a genetic predisposition to carpal tunnel, that it was th- therefore a preexisting condition, and therefore uh, was not job-related and would not be covered by workers' compensation.
2: Oh, my rights. goodness. <laughs> so what happened with that case?
0: That case, that case was settled, but it was not settled because of uh, the potential for, for discrimination. Because of course, the discrimination didn't actually occur. It was it was uh, likely going to occur. That was where they were going, but it was discovered before the discrimination uh, would occur, and they they eventually settled uh, with the EEOC, and they did so because, as I said, under the under the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, medical information uh, can only be gathered if it's job related. Um, and in this case, they were gathering medical information that was non-job-related, um, and they were, this was discovered. But this, of course, goes back to, to, to what we talked about earlier. Oftentimes, you know, if this employee's uh, wife hadn't noticed um, this discrepancy with the amount of blood that had been taken, it's highly unlikely that these employees would have ever had any idea of what the employer was doing. And, and this is not it, – it's, it's certainly in the minority, but this happens uh, – this has happened before um, the Washington, D.C. police force, for example, uh, unbeknownst to, to some of their female recruits tested uh, their urine for uh, – during drug testing for, uh, uh, for whether they were pregnant.
2: Oh, my goodness. So they, they they took – they said it was for one purpose, but they used it for another.
0: Absolutely, and it happened. Uh, actually, happened not uh, a few years ago in California as well. Berkeley Laboratories um, conducted uh, uh, physicals um, and uh, and ran uh, ran the blood for uh, uh, genetic predisposition to sickle cell, mm. for uh, for for pregnancy and for and for other conditions.
2: So, Jeremy, tell me something. So, so if you don't you have to sign um a permission for example for drug testing don't you have to do that or no no okay not in
0: the private sector workplace in in drug testing uh is is really one of the more invasive uh uh, uh privacy problems that we that we have in the workplace um and there's there's almost no regulation in the private sector workplace, of course, and for government employees uh, at the state and federal uh, level, they're they're covered by by the Constitution, of course. And um, and, the, and the courts have found um, uh, that to be drug testing, urine testing, to to be uh, a Fourth Amendment claim, and have restricted drug testing to safety-sensitive positions for government employees. But in the private sector workplace, uh, there's no such such limitations. And and, and we've seen uh, random suspicionless drug testing now for a number of years um, in in the uh, the American workplace. And we're starting to see it go beyond uh, things like urinalysis. We're starting to see new technologies like saliva testing, sweat testing, hair testing
3: um,
0: that, uh, that bring along additional privacy uh, uh, problems uh, as well. Hair testing is, is, of course, one of the most problematic. Uh, right. There have been there have been problems of, with hair testing um, in that uh, people of color oftentimes uh, have have been uh, have been f- more likely singled out um, be- in in hair testing. Uh, it's usually disproportionately fallen on people of color, and and uh, we've also seen uh, in, environmental. Problems with hair testing, where you know we often a lot of times this happens with police and a lot of police forces drug test, of course, um, and a lot of police uh, are, are around drugs as part of their law enforcement duties, uh, and we've seen uh, police in, in a number of different uh, police forces across the country who've been terminated for for having drugs in their system when, when uh, oftentimes there were environmental contamination problems with the hair testing.
2: Mm. So it seems like hair testing, they could do it without your knowledge, whereas saliva or urine—I mean, you're pretty much going to know what's going on. Hair testing, you may not even know.
0: Well, it, it, of course, that's a possibility. Although, <laughs> you know, that's, usually, that's usually them. with drug testing programs, uh, uh, you, you know you're being tested, although you 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 you're not necessarily given warning uh, uh, that you're being tested. You, you'll sh- you know you may show up to work one day and they say, well, you know. We, we we're picking you as part of our random uh, drug testing program to to participate and in, in, uh, uh, and take a drug test. Um, uh, so so usually you'll know it's about to happen. Um, but that that certainly in, in no way shape or form minimizes the invasiveness uh, of the procedure.
2: Yeah, and and I think what's even worse is what you were talking about is okay if you collect it for drug purpose, if somebody said to me, Mari, will you take a drug test, you know, to, to work in our company, you know, I'd say, yeah, but if if suddenly I find out that they didn't, that they used it for a secondary purpose to find out what kind of genetics I have, all right, in my DNA, I mean, that is is far more outrageous because it's collected for one purpose and used for another.
0: And it's happened many times. It's, it's absolutely true.
2: Hmm. So let's, let's kind of switch gears again. I mean, we're going to probably have to have you come back because we only have 15 more minutes, and there's so many things to talk about. But tell me, let's talk a little bit about background checks because that is so frightening. Um, I have a case going on right now in, in New York where a victim of identity theft who lives in Jacksonville, Florida, found out that um, there was an incorrect, there was literally, it was first, let me kind of say this, it was a first. It was an identity theft of um, of my client, who um, whose imposter committed crimes, felonies in his name. When the felon was actually convicted, he was convicted in his own name. But by mistake, the Suffolk County Court in New York reversed and said my client was the criminal and the bad guy was the alias. Okay, they made a mistake. So meanwhile, my client went on for years without knowing why he couldn't get a job in his field of um, IT, you know, computer technology, Mm -hmm. until he finally went back to his school and said, wait a minute, I can't get a job Will you do a background check. And then, of course, we found this conviction. Mm -hmm. So this is a huge issue when more and more companies are doing criminal background checks and... Not just criminal background checks, but background checks with credit reports,
3: sure where,
2: you know, but at least with a credit report, you have a right to see it, you have a right to correct it you have mm-hmm. a, you have notice you can you know you know when it 's being sold mm-hmm. so let 's talk a little bit about the issue with background checks, which I think is going to be huge
0: well certainly background checks are 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 proliferating, proliferating particularly um, after uh, the, the the rash of, of workplace violence that we 've seen uh, over the the past decade and certainly since nine eleven as well um, we've've we've seen a, a huge increase in background checks and and part of that has been uh, because of technology it 's not that the law has has really changed all that much, um, but the technology has. Uh, and, and employers uh, have far easier access to, to background information uh, about you than they ever ever really did. Um, in fact, the the institute uh, uh, was part of an advisory panel for the Department of Justice um, on a report they they just issued on background checks, um, and uh, with the intent of really of uh, of making background checks more available. Uh, and actually,
2: I have to tell you that I recommend to companies, especially for purposes of identity theft, I recommend to companies that you, if you have someone who has access to sensitive information on your clients or your employees, you need to do a background check, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but on the other hand, I tell people, look, it, if you're going for a new job, you better do a background check on yourself. So, um, yeah, I mean, th- there is that that burden but that benefit as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see a lot of, of companies, background-checking companies now, uh, emerging and, and growing. Um, uh, uh, and it's really, it's now it's starting to become a real industry. And part of the problem, like we saw, for example, with drug testing, uh, once, once the industry um, that delivers um, this type of a product uh, uh, starts to grow, uh, the industry itself has an entrenched interest in in, in that aspect of the workplace relationship, growing, uh, and we saw that with drug testing. Once once we saw a huge uh, started to see a, a large industry grow around drug testing and companies that provide drug testing for employers, we we really uh, started to really started to lose the battle against drug testing because we had a huge entrenched economic interest now uh, in in seeing drug testing continue. And and we have the same thing now with background checks. We're starting to see a a large and growing industry around background checks, uh, you know, now working hand in hand with the DOJ uh, to make sure that uh, background information is, is more available uh, to, to employers, and, and there aren't there aren't a lot of limitations, as you said. You know, certainly you can't ask about uh, things like protected categories that might be covered by Title VII. Um,
2: Why don't you tell my my audience that they may not know what those protected areas are?
0: Sure, sure. There there are, uh, there are a handful of, of federal laws. Um, that create protected categories uh, of individuals. And if you're a member of that protected category, um, it would be, it's a violation uh, of the law across a number of different areas um, to to make an employment decision based upon that category and of course, title seven is is one of the more famous ones and, and Title seven covers people uh, it covers discrimination based on race, based upon national origin, based upon gender um, and then of course, you have the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, which uh, creates the P- uh, protected class uh, for peoples with disabilities. you uh, have a um, the Age Discrimination in Employment Act uh, that, that covers uh, and protects um, age discrimination. So, if you're a member of one of these protected categories, uh, of course, uh, you can't. Uh, em- employers can't ask about them as part of a of a background check. Um, but oftentimes, aside from these these specific categories, there there's, there there aren't a lot of limits. And employers almost routinely now uh, usually require a blanket release. Um, oftentimes, when you're applying for a job. Uh, so that they can conduct these these rather wide ranging um, background checks um, with regards to, to criminal background checks um for example uh generally um you you uh, you can't use arrest information oftentimes um, in, in in as part of your uh decision making process at least the The EEOC has found that it would be a Title VII, uh, oftentimes would be a Title VII violation um, because of the disparate impact, meaning that uh, oftentimes, you know, of course, arrests, don't necessarily mean that the person was actually convicted of a crime, right, right. and people, and and oftentimes people of color are, are more often arrested uh, and and then not convicted than than people uh, than, than than other people. So oftentimes arrest records can't be used, but certainly um, uh, convictions oftentimes uh, can be used unless there's state regulation. Uh, some states require a nexus test. Uh, what that means is that. Uh, if an employer wants to use information about a conviction about you, uh, the crime you are convicted for must have some relationship to the type of job um, that they're hiring you for. Um, but uh, so in, in those states, for example, that next success is required. But in other states, don't have those types of laws, and, and, and you have fewer protections.
2: Well, also, they're not going to tell you that's, not, that's the reason why you didn't get the job. They're going to no, just say no somebody reason. was and, better. And as I said
0: before, there's no requirement that an employer give a, a reason for why you didn't get a job or, right. or why, you were, why you were fired for a job. Um, you know, so, so one of the few areas where they must give you notice um, with background checks really is is when they're doing credit checks on you. And, and under the, of course, as you as you alluded to before, under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, there are certain notification requirements that an employer must give um, to to comply with it when they're doing a, a credit check on you. Um, but it's not universal. They they need to notify you, of course, if you're seeking a job or a promotion. Um, that they did a credit check on you, but uh, but not otherwise. Um, and of course, if they deny a job or promotion, they, they have to notify you too and give you the name of the agency, and, and you then have the ability to to investigate uh, your credit reports. And in
2: reality, you know they're never going to tell you that they're just going to say, you know, we we really found somebody with better qualifications. I well, mean,
0: and, and that's, that's that's one of the universal problems of, of workplace law is it's it's very difficult um to prove why an adverse employment decision was made um, at, and to prove that it was made in a manner that was uh against the law or discriminatory in some way um, absent overwhelming independent evidence otherwise uh it's it's very difficult and usually uh it requires a pattern of practice uh, on behalf of the employer and you have to prove employer that pattern chooses yeah one employee, um, uh, to to uh, uh, invade their privacy or, or other types of rights. It's oftentimes difficult for that employee to prove it unless that employer has been doing the same type of uh, action against uh, a number of employees, and it becomes apparent that something's amiss.
2: Right. Let me, let me ask you something, though, one more thing about these background checks, because we know that we can get our fair credit reporting. we can get our credit report. But um, what kind of duty is there, you know, federally, for when someone does a background check on me, um, you know, when they do a credit report check on me, they can, they can, you know, I can get a copy of my credit report. Mm-hmm. So, what about what are the rules? What are the laws with regard to getting my background check?
0: Well, with regard to, for example, criminal records.
2: I'm talking about my background check that has things like my DMV, you know, like the like the things that ChoicePoint and and the data brokers get. The, yeah, it has criminal records, you talked about that, but I'm talking about like my DMV records and, and, uh, and other public records about me.
0: Well, oftentimes uh, they, they, the employers um, will, will get a blanket notice, um, and, uh, and as part of that blanket notice, they'll be accessing that type of information. Um, I think that happens less often. Um, I think more often they're, they're I think the two areas where we're seeing, or the one area where we're seeing the most problems right now is oftentimes criminal convictions um, and and with arrests, but uh, but, but they are looking at other areas as well.
2: Yeah. What about personal information and company files?
0: Well, of course, with personnel files, um, you have, uh, well, if you're a federal employee, for example, um, you, uh, the Federal Privacy Act gives you uh, access to records and, and notice limits on third-party access of personnel files. And, and many state and local employees have, have uh, similar protections. Um, but only a, about a third of the states um, uh, in the private sector workplace allow employees um, access to their personnel records. California, of course, um, is, is one of those states. Um but uh, but there are but absent uh, a, a state law and, uh, in the private sector, um, you have no right of access to, to personnel files. Um, although some employers have instituted policies that do allow you access, uh, even those employers that oftentimes uh, have those policies allow you to access the, those records but not to challenge uh, the content of them.
2: mm-hmm what 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 is the position that, that you all have with regard to things like biometrics which for our audience is the the use of you know some unique identifier for badges like um you know, you check in, and you have to put your fingerprint, or you have an iris scan as you walk in the door. Sure. Well,
0: you know, biometrics is one of the, is is a it's a huge emerging technology, and it's it's going to be uh, emerging across many different sectors. And of course, the workplace is going to be one of the areas where they're going to be creating biometric identifiers uh, uh, it, quite rapidly. Uh, and there's a there's there there are a number of issues with biometrics. Uh, for example. Um, uh, depending upon the type of biometric, um, they, uh, many of them have individualized problems. Retinal scans, for example, which is one way of, of conducting a, a biometric identification, uh, can potentially release medical information uh, about you. Um, but uh, so or, or some, or over. some other technologies, like facial recognition technology, mm-hmm. uh, can be done covertly without your knowledge right. um, that it's being done, and, and in certain cases, iris scans as well. But I think the biggest problem with biometrics um, has to do with the, the, the actual collection and uh, storage of these biometrics. You know, right. What is done with the original template? Um, uh, are these, ba- are these uh, uh, databases centralized? Um, are, are they secure?
3: Are there um, secondary what, uses? What is
0: the restriction on third-party access? There, there is very, there's no regulation right now uh, of any of this. Um, and uh, you know, once employers have created this type of information, there's there's a lot of uh, entities that would love access to it. Uh, you know, the government being one of them. Uh, you know, many people may not know this, but after 9/11, 64% of employers voluntarily shared information with the government.
3: Right. Um, right.
0: And uh, and of course. Uh, you know, consumer uh, databases would love to have biometric identifiers um, uh, for 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 use in a whole host of different uh, uh, aspects.
2: Jeremy, uh, we're going we're getting at the end here, and I, I'm gonna have to have you back because we could talk for hours on this. So I want to thank the um, thank you, Jeremy uh, Jeremy Gruber, who is the uh, Legal Director of the National Work Rights Institute. Thank you, Jeremy, for coming on.
0: My pleasure. And
2: we will have you back. And um, we will we have to talk a lot more about this kind of thing. You've, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Ir, Irvine and also on the net at uh, KUCI.org. You've been listening to Privacy Piracy. I'm Mari Frank and Lloyd Beauchamp. My wonderful engineer, listen next week from 5 to 6. And you can also visit us at KUCI.org forward slash privacy piracy where you can listen to our previous interviews and download the podcast. And next, tell them who's on next, Lloyd.
1: Neapolitan Radio.
2: Neapolitan Radio, so don't leave. And we'll see you next week.
0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KECI, its management, or the UC Board
3: of Regents.